0: As-salamu alaykum. Guys, every top athlete in the world has a coach, whether they're cycling or none. Increasingly, amateurs across the world are turning to coaches to become the best versions of themselves as well. Coaches can offer objectivity, they can offer accountability to oneself and goals. Today we have Henry from 2020 Cycling. A qualified coach should talk about the need for a coach and what they can offer. Henry has raced at a very high level here domestically in the UK. He's also raced across Europe. He has a deep knowledge into all things cycling. Henry is brutally honest throughout and he even gives his thoughts as to why there aren't many coloured people in racing. Be sure to stick around to the end to hear that. Anyway, enough of me. Over to Henry as Alaikum and welcome to the GAPT podcast. Today with me I have a special guest, Henry from 2020 Coaching. How you doing, Henry?
1: Hey, yeah, I'm good, man. How
0: are you? Oh, pr- brilliant. Uh, so Henry is a fellow British Cycling Scholar. He's also a qualified coach. Uh, but before we go into his coaching, uh, let's just talk about the British Cycling Scholarship. Henry, how you doing? Uh, how how you finding it? Good.
1: Yeah, we were, uh, we're what? three months in already yes. and uh we've done a lot <laughs> in that three months um and that, that's three of uh, a 24 month long journey where we're going to be seeing all sorts of things and experiencing new experiences from grassroots level all the way through to hopefully true or sort of top level high performance stuff as well and the scholarship's great in that it's giving us access to all those opportunities through british cycling who are just trying to support and develop young coaches and a new diverse breed of coaches, which they've never done before. And it's brilliant to see. And I mean, you'll be able to express this just as well as I have, but they've been so supportive of us already. Yes. Like what what they're doing and what they're providing is just phenomenal, even in the first three months. Um,
0: Yeah. yeah. Like the experiences have been absolutely priceless. Like I've tried to tot up just in my head, like what they've offered us. And if you put it monetary, like, I don't know, sitting in front of Bloomfield for example like people would pay hundreds of pounds for something like that you um, know what I mean yeah. so so it's incredible I mean, So, uh, you value what we've had already uh, of yeah absolutely so um, what, what do you plan to get out of the scholarship because you're qualified already so
1: so yeah I'm qualified to an extent yeah. there's always more you can do right and, and for me um, as I think it should be for most people on the course the qualifications are the beginning right There they're what you do at the start of your journey. So, I mean, you said to me before, you feel like you're right at the start of your journey, but equally, I think I am as well. Maybe I might be 18 months further along than some people on the course, but I am so far towards the start of what I'm trying to do with this. And I think for me, it is those experiences and it? it's that access to just the top level of performance. And my, my goal is always gonna to be to kind of work in that top level performance environment. And I think what we get from speaking to these coaches that are working with Olympic, well, not just Olympic athletes, Olympic champions, and uh, from a whole diverse range of, of disciplines as well. So you've mentioned Rumi from the BMX team, uh, but the track team. Um, I mean, they've just got Jason Kenny on board, who is a multiple-time Olympic champion himself. I mean, that kind of knowledge that we can tap into is priceless. And for me, I think that's kind of where I want to go, grow my network. Um, and just, just, yeah, using these people to kind of grow my own knowledge yeah. and then take that forward in, in my own way, really. I think everyone kind of develops their own sort of coaching spiel and coaching style, as yeah, it were. Yeah. Um, but I think you can all form that in good knowledge and good conversations with with people that have done it because that's what coaching is. It's experience and it's passing stuff on to, to future generations. Um, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, before you go into coaching, Henry, um, explain your cycling journey. So you're a racer, uh, etc. So yeah. Maybe break so it down.
1: I kind of came into it quite late, really. As uh, this is going to sound odd, but I was like as a junior, I was quite late into it. So I started when I was about sixteen, seventeen. And I mean, there's kids that have been racing since they were five, six years old. Forget that. I just
0: I remember at the launch, uh, one of the guys was like, he, the youngest person he coached was two years old. That was that was yeah. mental.
1: It's mad. I mean, there are kids on like balance bikes without pedals at that, that kind of age. And it's great, but for me, I mean, I grew up playing cricket and football. Like, I was a decent sort of level cricketer until I was about 16 started cycling as well. And then kind of realized I was a lot better at cycling than I was at cricket and um, stopped being a bench warmer there and started racing a lot more. Um, I guess my journey kind of started in the local clubs. So with time trialing really, um, it's probably the most accessible kind of arm of the sport. And yeah. It was back then and arguably still is. You can rock up and pay a few pounds and and ride in a race against all sorts of different people. So from there, kind of just went through a couple of different clubs and then into a sponsored team in 2012. Um, So started doing a lot more road racing. Uh, Still doing time trials, but a lot more road racing and kind of developed up to racing at a national level, national series. Did a few national champs. um, Raced a lot in Belgium. Um, did a race in France, so I've done various different events and stuff Um, was never one of the best at all, like I've had some good results but um, Mm -hmm. always on kind of more of a regional level, so won the Central Regional Road Race Champs in 2014 Mm -hmm. Um, I came second in that the year before actually, and Mm -hmm. that was that big motivation to win it the following year so um, that's kind of, that was probably the first example to me of what a big goal can do for someone yeah uh, and coaching is all about setting goals and achieving goals right so for me that was I came second that year and I knew I should have won it I could have won it so for me it was going into the next year thinking okay how am I going to win this race and it was a big goal of mine a big target of mine um, and I just knew it was going to happen and I just made it happen put everything in place and to me it was never in doubt so yeah that was kind of my first sort of view into what a little bit of planning could do for someone in cycling yeah um, and then from there, I uh, probably, probably never really realised what I could have done. Um, I think I could have probably got up to maybe Continental level, which is the first tier of a UCI professional team. Yep. That was
0: probably, in reality, always going to be the limits of what I could do. Okay. Um, but I do feel like genuinely I could have got there
1: with a bit more support in the right areas. Yep. Um, I've had coaches, I've had good coaches and I've had bad coaches. Um, I've had some that definitely put me on the right path and some that I feel like maybe not set me back but maybe could have helped more and I think in that sense um, that kind of spurs me on to want to help people achieve what they can do and put a lot of the good practices that I've learned from and I've seen into my coaching now Um, so moving forward from when I sort of stopped racing at that kind of top national level which was yep. maybe 2017 2018 yeah started to get a bit more into like mentoring and helping some riders a, a lot more informally than i am now but uh people would come to me and just try and tap into my experience a little bit yeah um and for me that was quite rewarding like you give someone a bit of help give them a bit of knowledge and you'd see them go and apply that and then go and win a race or yeah, get yeah, a, a yeah. personal best on a time trial and i loved it i loved that sort of kind of thing. Like it's their work and it's their result but I just felt like I had a little bit of an input in there yeah, and yeah, it was yeah. so rewarding. Like, I guess if you're doing that in a workplace you'd call that job satisfaction, right? You're Absolutely. getting something back for something that you've put into something that you're passionate about and from that started to get into it a bit more formally I guess with coaching. Um, did my first qualification in 2018 I think I started it. Okay, um, so That was with a well like an association called the association of british cycle coaches who are i think it used to be linked to british cycling years ago but they're kind of two separate entities now Um, so i've also done some british cycling qualifications as well but kind of through the scholarship now getting access to really top up where those gaps are in my coaching
0: oh yeah yeah yeah
1: so that's the sort of journey through to where i am now and um, and yeah currently working with a number of athletes on like a one-to-one basis and also a couple of teams um a university and a race team oh nice so um so yeah that, that's that's me in a nutshell um, i mean we, we talk about it all day i yeah. i love talking about racing and um, i mean racing in belgium is, is brilliant like that's the the sort of stuff where you don't really experience that in the uk belgium live and breathe cycling right? Like i said it's almost a national sport um, and you get these whole towns that like shut off for the day or the afternoon and you've got everyone lining the barriers um Cheering you on, and it's essentially just a local race. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: But it looks the whole as town comes out, right? like
0: Yeah, something. yeah, yeah. So uh Belgium, like they're all cyclists, right? Everyone cycles, which is mental. They all,
1: yeah, they love it. The infrastructure is well, maybe second to the Netherlands, but it's all there. They've got that everyone loves it. It's it's something that is like encouraged and championed, whereas you got in the UK, like it's almost like frowned upon, isn't it? Like, Absolutely. but uh, no it's a great experience and i'd encourage anyone to get out there and even just experience like opening weekend with on loop and karen brussels kern or uh, some of the other sorts of tour of flanders that kind of stuff and then also if you ever get the people get the chance to kind of get into racing out there as well um it's it's a great environment for kind of pulling your level up so
0: henry if we go into the pathway into all of that then we're gonna be here all night so move yes absolutely um so do you still race at a higher level or
1: um
0: are you still yeah, racing I'm, at all really
1: not really so i'm um, yeah i'm racing um i've done one race this year so far so m- to be honest most of my racing will be on my local circuit that's 15 minutes down the road yeah because it's doesn't involve traveling and the races are always about an hour long so i can with my sort of time commitments that i've got now the training can be a little bit less and I can still be competitive enough to enjoy it. I mean, racing for four or five-hour road races at national level is a very different beast than training to beat the local riders down the road for an hour-long race. Um, So what with the work and the time I'm putting into my coaching now and the sort of stuff I want to do with that, with the scholarship, um, and also the team I ride for, I do a lot of director sportive work. So that's the guy that rides in the car behind the race right, and gives them yeah, uh, hands their bottles up, hands the nutrition up, forms all the race strategy, the tactics.
0: You're kind of yeah. like the manager of a football team, like if someone was to put a, yeah. a similar analogy, yeah, is that exactly? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And it's a uh, it's a crazy place driving a car behind a race. It's <laughs> it's a bit like Mario Kart or yeah. wacky races or something like that. Um, but it, it's a it's brilliant fun, and I love it. And again, it's just another way to kind of impart a bit of knowledge and be a part of that team and kind of lead a team. um just from a different side really it's a different side to the race but um yeah doing a lot more of that this year so again less time less training so i'll be involved at national level races yeah. but uh, yeah with my feet up with <laughs> a bar of chocolate in my hand probably
0: <laughs> so uh you mentioned you've been coaching a few years now uh what kind of riders do you coach are they all on road or are they uh other dis- disciplines as well
1: yeah so mostly road Okay. Um, I've got one guy who's going into a bit of mountain bike this year um, for me my specialism is road road and time trial I know it inside out um, I could talk all day about it I could probably answer most questions if I don't know the answer I'd know where to find the answers um, and my network of people that I know could provide those answers yeah. whereas other disciplines of the sport is a lot different I mean physiologically speaking I know kind of what's required for let's say a mountain bike race yeah I have no experience of technically what is needed for that. So it almost feels as though I don't have that credibility to coach that. And yeah, for me, yeah, yeah. I, the, the coach athlete relationship is all about trust and building, building a good, you always become friends with these people and yeah. they have to trust what you're doing, that you know what you're doing. And for me, that means being credible and knowing it's sort of that discipline inside out. So for me, road TT is always what I'll do. And if someone wants me to help them out with something else, um, like this guy with mountain bike, we almost have that conversation of like, okay, let's work together. So he's raced at sort of national series before for mountain bike, so he knows a lot of the technical side. Yeah. So we can almost draw that out of one another of, okay, what do we need to work on on that side of it? And then I can help more with the physiological side of it. Um, so you become a bit more of a team in that sense. Um, but most people are, yeah, road and time trial, ranging from uh, sort of a couple of juniors all the way up to. And, and like the juniors are trying to go pro, right? They're full time, they're out yeah. of school um, and they've got a lot of time to devote. And then it goes all the way up to people that are working really high intense city jobs. So bankers in, in got a guy in London and he's working like 50, 60 hour weeks. How do you fit that around your training? And that's kind of a completely different beast. Um, and again, I, I've, done, I've done that. I've tried to work and train and become, I guess, get to a pro level whilst working. So again, it's how do you manage that load? And everyone's got family commitments, right, social commitments. So all these people kind of bring different things to the table. And my role is to kind of sift through that, put a plan in place, and basically kind of project manage their cycling in a way. Like if you look at it, a sort of work kind of role. Um, and then we start to dig into a bit more of what we'll go into a bit later on on yeah. this, but around where their gaps are, what they need to work on, what gotcha. their goals are, that kind
0: of stuff. So you touched on it uh, briefly there like as to what a coach does. You're effectively almost life-managing as well, in a sense. But um, yeah. what's uh, what's the nitty-gritty of a coach? Wh- why would I need a coach? Why can't I manage myself, for example? Or anyone else, really? Why can't they do it themselves? Well, you
1: could. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about what level of performance you want to get out of yourself. And it all kind of comes down to what you want to achieve, really. Um, so... You're obviously very, I don't know, as a person, and I've seen this from a rider side and a coach's side, you've become very kind of single-minded in this is what I do and yeah. this is how I do. But actually, if you've got someone that can objectively help you and kind of assess you both on a sort of analytical level in terms of like data, power numbers, all that kind of stuff, and give you a bit of an overview of around where your strengths and weaknesses lie, um, how you can improve those, how your training should be planned, but also... The better, I guess, the bit that's missing is that kind of objective view of where your gaps are in terms of technical, tactical, experiential knowledge, and how can a coach kind of draw those things out of you that you might not know. And a lot of the time, a coach will just put questions that an athlete asks straight back to them, and then the athlete will tell the coach the answer. A lot of what I do is, if you said to me, Henry, I've come to this race and I don't know how to how to approach it, it's got a hilltop finish, Um, what should I do? And I might come straight back to you and say, well, what do you think you should do? And then you'd probably have something in mind that you maybe had as an idea and then bring that to the table and let's talk about it, maybe refine it, that kind of stuff. So it's someone to bounce ideas off. It's someone to kind of develop your own ideas and your own knowledge. I mean, a, a good coach shouldn't be telling someone the answers. They should be almost teaching them to learn their answers and yeah. draw it out the athlete in themselves because no one knows an athlete better than the athlete themselves right yes. And if you get to know yourself know the way you respond to training know where your gaps are in terms of your technical side of things um and work with a good coach to, to get that out from yourself that's when you can start to form a plan and put something in place to kind of bridge those gaps um but it's just so hard to get out of that kind of narrow-minded approach when you're doing it all by yourself yeah um, but in, I guess there's there's other factors as well that, I mean, we could talk about this all day, but in terms of like psychological support, and I mean, trying to, if you're a rider that's trying to go pro or trying to get a contract with a, a continental team or a world tour team, that's a lot of pressure, right? I mean, you're trying to set yourself up for a career that could last 10, 15 years, and you're going to be trying to get paid and potentially provide for family and stuff in future. That's high stress, it's high pressure, and performance is very, performance environment of sport is very unforgiving so that you could be in a job one day and the next you could be out of one yeah. and you have to support riders through that as well on, on almost becoming you're not a sports psychologist, I mean you stick to what you're good at but there is a very much an element of that support as well and how do you get people in the right headspace to perform as well as the tactical which we've touched on, the physiological I mean there's so many facets to it and you said exactly that, it is kind of like managing someone's life through their cycling but There's so many different touch points. And there comes a point in all these areas of of physiology, of psychology, that you have to almost bring in a support network of other people as well. So sports psychologists, sports physiologists, physiotherapists, massage therapists, um, all these sorts of people that kind of start to build out that network of support. But all that is often led from a coach and kind of how that relationship and that trust is formed to kind of work out what is needed for that rider.
0: So you've gone very, very deep as to why someone would run a coach. That's fantastic. So if you're an amateur, uh, which I imagine most of my listeners are, for example, um, mm-hmm. what what benefit would a coach have for them?
1: Well, again, it comes down to how much you want to improve, right? And I mean, most of the people I work with are amateurs. Well, okay. um, they all are. One of them is definitely more of an aspiring professional but essentially they're all amateurs and what they're trying to do is they're still trying to perform better. They're still trying to get the most from themselves, the most from their time. I mean, a lot of the times stuff that amateurs struggle with is things like how do I actually fit my training in? What can I get from, let's say I've got four hours a week or five hours a week to train. Um, What can I do in that time? That's going to be most beneficial for me as a rider. And, they just don't know. I mean, there's loads of stuff out there that if you spend hours and hours reading, listening to podcasts, um, watching YouTube videos, uh, there's all sorts of stuff out there. Things like um, other training platforms as well, which I think we'll touch on in a bit, but um, it's all out there. But a coach can bring that knowledge straight away and then take it 10 times further by personalizing it to that rider. And then all of a sudden, that coach knows the inside outs of, your social commitments, your family life, what do you have to do week in, week out, what are your constraints, you might have a really physical job, you might have an office job and both of those kind of bring things to the table as well so if you're sat in a chair for 60 hours a week over a laptop, um, that's not great for your posture, it's not great for a lot of things to do with that might affect your training as well but equally if you've got a really manual job, um, again you're going to come home, you're going to be tired so how do you fit your training around that and how do you recover effectively, Um, so Essentially, a coach can kind of manage all that for an amateur and bring them into a space where they can start to just focus more on the training as opposed to try and kind of okay, thinking about how do they actually formulate that training? How do they put everything together to get the best from themselves? And it brings a bit of accountability as well. I mean, you've got someone always looking and watching what you're doing and not in a bad way, but in a way to kind of provide support and, and look at, okay... If this isn't working, how do we change it? If this is working, what's working? How do we develop that and keep this kind of positive reinforcement around? You're ticking sessions off. Is it too easy? Okay, let's progress it a little bit. How do we move you forward? How do we put in a progressive step? Um, and everything's always a bit like a moving beast. It's a bit like the peloton. Like It's always moving forward. Yeah. And there's riders moving forward and there's riders moving back, right? So if you're not moving up, then you're closer to the back. And a coach almost helps that rider to keep moving up through their training, through their performance, through their fitness and all those skill gaps that we've kind of spoken about. Um but it all kinda of comes down to the goal of that amateur really. If they want to improve their performance and if they want to be the best version of themselves, yeah. Then a co- a coach helps them do that.
0: I, I guess that's what it comes down to. If if you want to be the best version of yourself, um yeah, you need help doing that, isn't it? So That's where you come in, I
1: guess. 99.9% of us are not professionals. We're never going to be professionals, but we can be the best version of ourselves. And we all want to be that, really, don't we? And some people have more time than others, and some people don't, but we can all be the best
0: version of ourselves. And what more could you ask for? (laughs) So, uh, if tomorrow, Henry, someone called your coaching company, 2020 Cycling, and said, Right, um, I'm looking for a coach, uh, would you be able to run through what they might expect?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. So I guess there's always a bit of a conversation there around me getting to know the rider because as much as they want to know whether I'm a good fit for them, I also kind of want to know if they're a good fit for me because yeah. there's no point in me coaching someone that I a, don't, can't get on with, can't relate to. Um, I need to be sure that I can help them and they need to be sure that they can help me in a sense. Um, so there's a sort of, I guess, a few questions that we kind of go through. Um, normally it's it's got a few stages to what I would do. And, and everyone does this differently, right? But there's kind of a process that I go through. We'll have that initial call. Um, it normally comes, I normally get like an email or something saying like, can we have a chat? And we'd arrange that call. And essentially that's me asking them questions about themselves. So if I was getting a call from Eugenia, then we'd say, okay, first question is, tell me about yourself, right? What do you do? What does your cycling look like? How did you get into cycling? What's your sporting history? Yeah. And why did you contact me? So yeah. that would be the first question.
0: All right, so shall I break it down? Let's do it. All yeah. right, sweet. So um, I cycled, uh, I started about 10 years ago. Um, I needed a way to get to uni and back. So just literally looked on Google Maps. It said half an hour on bike, it said about 40 minutes by train. Uni student, not Might much money. Nothing, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. He yeah. uh, said, not much, uh, uh, you know, uni uni student, don't have much money. So you're thinking, okay, what's the cheapest way? Bike, right? Going to Halfords the next day. Bought the nicest looking Carrera back then. Uh, probably about 15 kg, but oh, awesome, I loved it. Um, racer job, bike. Though. What's that? Did the job though. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, I started off doing that for like a year or two. Um, but I knew there was something about cycling that I absolutely loved. I don't know what it was, but I, I knew I wanted to take it further. And, um, but I was very, very shy and, um, very scared as well. Like if I go down that road, I might end up being lost. So I literally stuck to my commuter route for a very long time until I saw a local, um, uh, another Muslim cyclist, Mebs, he took me out, uh, towards Epping. So you might have even cycled there yourself once or twice. Yeah. So, um, he took me out, and I was like, wow, I did hills for the first time. You know, London's completely flat if you go into Central, and that's where I was commuting. So he showed me some hills for the first time. I was like, wow. It was proper tough, but it was like, you know what, I quite like this, um, This, I don't know, the, you get a kick out of that burn, you know what I mean? So, yeah. And a bit um, of countryside and a bit of clean air. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. And uh, to be honest, uh, we can get into a countryside. Even though I'm in, like, East London, I can get to the countryside about two or three miles. So five ten minutes uh you're you're in pretty good roads um anyway so did a a few charity rides since then and grew the miles and then i think about 2018 you could say i I started taking things a little bit more seriously uh downloaded trainer road started going through their plans um started doing What,
1: what made you want to do that then
0: um i'm not sure to be honest my mate had a watt bike and um he was renovating his house, and he was going to chuck it in storage and he was like, "You want to borrow it?" I was like, "Oh, well, why not? I'll give it a shot um and I don't know why I landed on Trainer Road. I think I found one of their uh podcasts on YouTube, and I was like, "Oh they know, they seem to know what they're talking about, let me jump on their app, and that's what I did and uh, I haven't really looked back since. I quite like using their platform, um but we're going to burnouts and whatnot later on." um it, but yeah i, I used but I, them. Guess,
1: I guess what was the driver behind you wanted to then take it a bit more
0: no but, um well, there's about i don't know about 30 40, 40 of us locally that um we have a little competition in between us so even even though it's not competition it's like you want to keep up with the the big boys don't you so yeah. uh yeah. so the training was based around that but i separately to that i would do my own time trials um no no one locally would really join me but I'd go out into the countryside, find the local uh, 10 10 or 25 mil hilly time trial and just racing myself as well, you know what I mean? Like, I'd do the same courses year after year just to see uh, if I'm knocking off time, which uh, I still am, even though I'm touching... Actually, I'm 30 today, but uh, yeah, it's getting old, man, but yeah. Happy birthday, man. Oh, Thanks, man. Uh, So... Yeah, um, I I was doing that old local time trial, um, the fast-paced group ride, um, and it's just been a repetition of that, really, 2018, 19, 20, 21. Um, This year, I've started crits. Um, I did do a few back in, like, 2017 or 18, um, but this year, I've properly stepped it up, um, and I've I've already done five this year. And And it's a natural
1: progression, right? I mean, you go from that... I want to be my mates, to, okay, how can I be a bit more competitive? Okay, there's some local time trials. Yeah, want yeah, a, yeah. a bit of money, do that. And the next thing is, okay, well, these guys on the telly are all racing together. Where are those races?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So local it, surf
1: road, let's go and try a bit of that. And it's it. great. I mean, it's that, again, it's that I want to be a better version of myself. How do I progress? How do I move forward? Absolutely. And you kind of laid it out perfectly there. That's exactly what it should be like and you're going to keep getting better and keep getting faster yeah, yeah. even if you just keep training you're going to get more miles in your legs you're going to get more years of that training and you're going to start to just grow your experience as well yeah, yeah. And I mean I guess the next thing is kind of like uh, what so you've contacted me right as a, yeah. as a as a rider that wants to speak to a coach um, what made you contact a coach so you've used these platforms before and yeah. what then moves you forward into thinking okay I need the next thing here What what's next and so, the
0: so, coach started using trainer road we've had this conversation previously um, yeah. I've, it's burnt me out a few times um, so I'm using it more sparingly this year also uh, as I mentioned I've started the crits this year so um, I didn't expect it to be so hard um, it's not got a result when I say that I mean a top 10 in the last five races uh, the numbers are looking pretty good uh, technique hasn't been awesome but it's getting, getting better but Uh, still my numbers should be doing okay for a cat four racer you know what i mean so um, i've got a theory in the sense that uh nobody's raced for the last two years due to covid and therefore there's a lot of people who should be cat two free who's not had the chance to move up so they're all languishing in cat four
1: the level is just so high right now yeah yeah because people are People have been inside smashing it on Zwift and Road and all those sort of things. They haven't got any points or moved up any categories. I mean, for those who don't know that, there's a category system within British Cycling and you move up, there's five different categories from Cat 4 all the way up to Elite. Um, And there's obviously a few in between as well. So, there's people that have been racing and I mean, at the end of the first year of COVID in 2020, we were racing but there were no points. So, I remember doing some races but it was just for fun like we'd been inside all year we wanted to go and race and have some fun and no one moved up a category no one moved down a category so there's all these new there's two years worth of new races like you've just said that are fast and strong but they're all probably maybe not the most technically gifted riders because they've not been racing and riding in groups and also They've not moved up in the categories, so they're all flooding those bottom levels, and yeah. that level's just gone through the roof. Yeah. So when I was a fourth guy, it took it took two races to get out because it was basically like a local club run, and then you did a sprint at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whereas now you've got like third cat races that are only maybe like one or two k per, per hour slower than an elite race. Yeah. It's mad. <laughs> the
0: yes. level's just so high. So I'm, uh, I was probably a bit naive, uh, thinking it'd be exactly that a club run and then just little sprint at the end i might not win that sprint but i'd be top 10 but yeah it just hasn't come so that's why i if i was to get a coach that's why i'd be calling one right now just uh, how how to take it to that next level really
1: okay so i guess my next question would be around getting to know you a bit better as a cyclist so what have you? You've obviously used these platforms before. Has that given you much of an idea around your strengths and weaknesses as a rider? Like, what are you good at, and what are you maybe not so good at at the moment?
0: I could probably sit on sweet spot forever. Um, I love yeah. a good sweet spot session—twenty minutes, half an hour, forty-five minutes—I can sit on that all day yeah. long. Threshold, uh, threshold, starts getting tough. Uh, but then when you're looking at one hundred and ten percent of FTP now, one hundred and twenty percent, hundred and anything above that and uh i can do it for say whatever the interval is maybe it might be 30 seconds it might be two minutes for example you know the longer ones um but then recovering after that oh my god um i just can't come back after that you know what i mean so uh that's what i'm finding on the crits as well where uh you know you you got to sprint out the corners or whatever but coming back after that it takes me forever to recover so that's where There's i'm that shopping of
1: repeatability of that's
0: efforts, it so it? tts i can do all day long i love a good tt sit on sit on that red line uh for a good hour whatever i, I can yeah. do that i don't mind um but the crits uh going above 150 percent 200 percent whatever six seven hundred watts even if it's for 10 seconds just holding 250 after that is a struggle so yeah that's where my weakness i imagine is
1: and I think that's, uh, that's kind of a common theme, I think, with people that I see coming to me as a coach, at least. And I think it kind of stems from that. It's a really common trait in cyclists that we like to kind of just, like you said, sit at that sweet spot. And so for people that don't know what sweet spot is, it's like that level just below your threshold. Threshold being, well, there's lots of different definitions for threshold, but we'll call it your hour power in this case, which is the, the kind of the definition of your functional threshold power. And we could get all science and talk about different thresholds, physiological thresholds, but let's keep it simple for now. So your sweet spot is the one just below that. And that's kind of that one where you go out, you're riding quite hard, and you just keep riding quite hard. We can all do that, and we can all kind of enjoy that sensation because you feel like you're working hard. You feel yes. oh, I must be getting faster, right? I must be getting fitter. But actually, you are, and you will be, but is that optimal for training? Is that optimal for your racing? Probably not. And there's certain certain instances where a lot of that kind of training is good and certain phases of training building towards certain races, absolutely. But there's a lot of kind of research stuff now saying that if you polarize your training a lot more, so you do your easy stuff a little bit easier and actually really nail that hard stuff, those hard sessions, the adaptations you get from that in, in certain phases of your training, especially when you're approaching sort of really specific phases where you're going into racing very soon, Um, you can pull that level up a lot higher and you can get really specific with those intervals and you can be doing some serious numbers that maybe you didn't think were possible before purely by stripping out that kind of middle zone of that sweet spot intensity because your easy stuff is easy and whilst it's easy, it's still going to be good aerobic training. It's still going to be making you fitter, but it's reduced a little bit of that intensity, which means you can reach a lot higher on those other uh, intervals. And that's where you start to get into the demands of, of a crit race and what is needed to be good at a crit race. Well, it is those, it's those short, sharp efforts. It's doing that repeatedly recovering from that. So in order to be good at that, you've got to train, right? For that. Yeah. And in order to train for that, you need to be able to be recovered enough and able to do those efforts repeatedly. So it all kind of comes from that place of what are you trying to do? What is the demand of your race? Yeah. And then break that down and looking at, um, and what can you do? So in your case, I guess you're looking to start crit racing, we'd have to have a look at that, have a look at that kind of distribution of intensity in your training. And maybe my my hunch would be that we'd find you're doing a lot of that kind of middle intensity and trainer road platforms like that. They love a bit of sweet spot because it bumps you up in terms of your aerobic fitness really quickly. And it's great. I love a bit of sweet spot training as well. It is really good for that, but it has a time and a place within a program and there should always be a next step. And that should always be, what's what's happening next? Why are we doing this? Not just the same stuff over and over again. And I think with you, maybe if we had a look into that, maybe we would try and polarise that distribution a little bit more. Yeah. And try and maybe work on those weaknesses a bit. Because it might not even be that it's a particular weakness of yours physiologically. It might just be that your training and your recovery is restricting that currently. So we'd have to do a bit of kind of benchmarking, look at where your kind of power profile sits at the moment. And then I guess go from there. So look at the distribution and, and try a few things. Like there's no exact science to this. Coaching is different for everyone and training and prescription is different for everyone. There's, there's set models that you could follow but everyone reacts differently. Everyone recovers differently. You might have a really hectic job and a hectic family life and that affects your recovery because you can't just go home and put your feet up after training session. Whereas someone else down the road, they can do that. So... Again, all these things come into account and, and, uh, and yeah, that's kind of the next thing we'd do in terms of looking at those strengths and weaknesses. It's so important. In, in mm-hmm. my view, if you can know your strengths and know what you're good at, then you know how to win races. Yeah. If you know your weaknesses and know what you're not so good at, you know how not to lose your races because you know how to kind of hide those and be efficient in those areas, that kind of stuff. So it's kind of an educational piece as well. Get to know yourself as a rider. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I think after that, um, the next thing would be your goals. So, what's we've we've spoken about what's uh, driven you towards speaking to a coach, but then the next step, what do you actually want to achieve in cycling? So, think short term, think long term. So, what do you want to do this year, and what do you want to do in the next three years?
0: So, this year, certainly reach CAP3. And in three years' time, I don't know. um, So, this is a this is a strange one, uh, Henry. Uh, perhaps you've not been approached by someone like this. So I've signed up to All Points North in June. It's a 1,000-kilometer race. Uh, it's a race, so the aim is to do it in two or three days. So we're looking at two to 300 miles a day, maybe. I, I, I don't know how we'll manage it. but uh, So obviously I'm crit racing now, and I plan to do that up until perhaps April, before then I turn my head to All Points North. Yep. um but yeah so cat three yeah yeah absolutely that's what i mean so by april I, I i would wish to at least have some points in the bag and uh perhaps finish cat three uh progression later on in the summer uh after all points nor- north is done um because obviously that's such a huge event it needs its own few months just for that you know what I mean but, so, so tell me
1: about that is that uh, like a self-sustained thing where yeah, you have to cap- yeah, yeah, yeah. have you, like an ultra endurance
0: event yes so it starts in Sheffield and there's 10 checkpoints further north um, literally up to the Scottish border there's some in the Lake District uh, some on the east coast etc and if you add it all up it turns out to be just over a over thousand kilometres um, and as I mentioned it's a race so minimal sleep um, it's all self-supported. What you can buy um, on the day, uh, you can't get any outside help and whatnot. So, yeah, you're carrying your own stuff, and you can't draft. Well, actually, I'm paired up. I'm going to do that as a pair, so I can draft my partner. But any other yep. outside help or um, drafting and whatnot, that's that's not allowed. Um, so yeah, that's that's the event in a nutshell. I mean, that, that's awesome,
1: uh, that, That's that's uh, like you said, it's completely different to crit racing, but. It's a challenge, it's a massive challenge and it brings a lot of other things with it as well that you'd have to consider like with a coach and think about how do we prepare for these different things. And it's so far as like how do you carry your items, what luggage are you taking, how do you optimise that for it's a race, right? Yeah. You want to, well, oh, yeah. how do you take what you need, be efficient with that? How do you fuel properly? I mean, that's a proper endurance event. How do you make sure that you're taking on enough carbohydrate and recovering properly as well between sessions where are you going to sleep all that sort of stuff um and it all needs considering it It all needs planning what's your schedule what's your route everything like that um, are all things that you consider you can do that by yourself but you can do that with a coach and maybe a coach gives you a different perspective helps you to make sure that you're getting the most from yourself um and it's a race you want to be your goal might be to finish it but your goal might be to win it and if your goal is to win it then you want to be again. It's that best version of yourself, right? And yeah. you want to make sure that you're getting everything out of this event because it's a big commitment—not just the day, well, the, the days of the race, um, but it's month of training. It's hard work, and you're going to have to dedicate to doing some some big miles to prepare for that. Um, so it's all part of that that piece. And then I guess for that time commitment, you want to see some reward, right? So let's plan that properly and yeah again a coach can help you kind of put those blocks in place and make sure that you're getting the most out of that trip yeah so so what, what is your goal for that race
0: um <laughs> finish finish um but to be honest i know it's going to be uh, a world of pain so naturally yeah. you want to finish as quickly as possible um if that means aiming for first spot so be it but Naturally, you just want to finish as quickly as possible, just for the pain and suffering to end. Really, you know what I mean? You want to be the fittest you can be. So, when you're faced with headwind and a dirty hill, uh, after you've got 300 miles in the legs and whatnot for that day, you you still want to be able to, you know, power up it. Uh, Okay, fine. You're never going to power up a hill after 300 miles, but you know, like you want to still conquer that hill and not be phased by it. You know what I mean? So. And uh, obviously, you've I've got a partner in it, so naturally you wanna you wanna be the one who's stronger out of the two and help him up, as opposed to being the one who's always letting the team down. So yeah, uh, it
1: definitely brings a different dynamic to it for sure. Like you, like you said, you don't want to be the guy that's that's slowing the other person down, and that works both ways. That could drive both of you on, and if you kind of embrace that in the right way, that's gonna make make you train harder. It's gonna make you go quicker on on. The days of the event as well so there's so many aspects to it you know, ultra endurance stuff and it's a it's a world i've not really got into too much before yeah but it's 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 fascinating and it, i've certainly i've spoken to a lot of people that have, have done it and yeah it's uh it's a different beast that's for sure so it's all about preparation that's the key with an event like that
0: yeah 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 so it's the first one uh that i've signed up for so should be interesting looking forward to it So how would would the training for that be different to perhaps grit training?
1: Again, it's it's the demands of the event right, so the demands of that is long endurance miles, it's being really fatigue resistant, it's being
0: able to produce power hour after hour after hour, like you said, you hit a big hill in
1: Scotland after 10 hours of riding how do you even get up that hill? It's not about being able to kick and distance your teammates or distance people in a race at that point is being able to continually plug away and get through there, but being able to do that efficiently and being able to make sure that you've trained properly to be able to sustain that. And and if you don't put the miles in you don't develop the right sort of physiological systems to be able to support you in that, um, then ultimately you're not gonna succeed. So it's uh that's kind of the endurance side of it compared to a crit which is a lot more kind of anaerobically focused so it's short sharp efforts uh repeated across the the hour hour and a half however long it is so you might be looking at efforts of 20 30 seconds up to maybe a minute minute and a half and then you're trying to get away you're trying to get gaps in the race and then you settle into those sort of longer sustained efforts around like we spoke earlier your threshold um often just above that in kind of those areas that are often called things like training at VO2 max or max aerobic kind of intensities. Um, They're completely different worlds. It's a completely different type of effort. But after 10 hours of racing, 10 hours of riding through Scotland, that's arguably going to feel just as hard as doing a minute-long attack in a crit race because the fatigue in the legs is just going to be debilitating by that point. So you need to have just built up that resistance. And the way you train for each of those is going to differ a lot. Um, there'll be some crossover I mean the foundation of cycling is always it's aerobically based right it's a endurance sport whether you're doing a four kilometer track pursuit which is under four minutes at times um, that's aerobic anything above sort of maybe 60 to 90 seconds you're already aerobic so it's all oxygen powered it's this aerobic system that's powering it Um, so if you form that strong aerobic base of, of, of fitness which is through things like your your long miles, but also things like your tempo rides, your sweet spot rides, things around your threshold, Um, and even pulling up from above with things like your max aerobic, your sort of five to six minute efforts that are a little bit harder than your threshold. It's all aerobic training. It's all going to be making you fitter, but there's a lot of different ways to skin that cat. And if you need to do a lot more volume to kind of make yourself able to do those long days, day after day, hour after hour, then you are going to have to do that. There's no way around it. You can't do... Uh, an interval session every day, and expect to do a ten-hour ride for five days in a row. You are going to have to train a bit of that as well. But within a crit race, uh those kind of aerobic foundations can be built off those two, three-hour rides, and then sprinkle on top some of that. Okay, this is your short, sharp efforts that maybe you don't need at all for those long endurance rides. Yeah. Um, but it's still foundationally the same thing. You are still trying to build the aerobic foundations, and then you get into the specificity, which is like one of the, the principles of training, which is most important. You've got your progression and your specificity. So you keep moving forward with progression, but the specifics of the event, that's where you kind of get a bit more nuanced and you start to think about, okay, what do I actually need to do for this specific race? And that's where the difference lies, really. Gotcha.
0: Absolutely. So with um, if it's a time-crunched athlete, though, um, like myself, how would yeah. uh how would you go about so if you've got an hour each day Monday to Friday and uh perhaps you've got say 4 or 5 hours on a Saturday and then only two or three on a Sunday so that's perhaps 10 hours maybe 12 13 14 15 at a push potentially how, how would you how would you do a week like that of training for all points north
1: so I you're getting this for free, aren't you now, know anyway. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, yeah, I mean there's we'd have that conversation around those those time limits and then things like your sweet spot rides your tempo rides, in this case they're your friend here. So that's gonna be really efficient use of your time. And again we have to kind of moderate that. We have to look at the distribution of your sessions. You don't wanna be doing that every day, but maybe you might do one, maybe two of those types of sessions midweek. Um we might see if we can perhaps get one session that's maybe a bit closer to, say, an hour and a half than an hour or midweek, see if we can uh, yeah, find a little bit of extra time in one day to do a slightly longer session, perhaps. If we can, great. If we can't, then it is what it is. It's obviously the time constraints are there for a reason, right? But those kind of sub-threshold, long, extended efforts, and we build you up from doing, I don't know, four lots of five minutes to start with, and then start to look at, okay, how do we progress that? How do we move you forward? And even though that's within an hour, you're still developing that aerobic fitness. You're still getting a lot more efficient. You're still uh, gaining mitochondria. You're still being able to work more efficiently from that oxygenated system. Um, on your weekend rides, on, so off the back of those, now obviously you've got more time. So you want to start looking at doing longer rides. But within those as well, it's not just going out and riding if you wanted to be as kind of efficient and specific as possible, you think about, again, introducing some of those sort of longer efforts within those rides. And again, that might start with be just a little bit above your steady endurance pace to start with. Maybe do them at the start of your ride for, I don't know, two lots of 10 minutes and then settle into your endurance pace after that. Um, and we'd look at kind of where those endurance intensities sit as well. A lot of people tend to, get a lot of dead time when they're riding outside so a lot of time where you're either freewheeling or you're doing i don't know 50 watts and you're doing that because you can you're still moving along at let's say 30k an hour but you're not doing that on the turbo are you because you're stationary and you can see exactly what's going on but if we can kind of make the most of that time and and do a lot more of work at your aerobic threshold so um Again, we're going to confuse people here because there's different types of thresholds. Yeah. Your aerobic threshold is kind of a lot lower than the threshold we spoke about earlier. So it's the point at which you start to introduce that anaerobic system to the uh, the contribution of energy. And if we can kind of work up towards your aerobic threshold to keep it aerobic, but make the most of that, then you're going to be getting more bang for your buck in that time. And that's the kind of thing that again you're getting you're developing a lot more of those aerobic pathways. And you're still doing a long ride, but equally you're making the most of that time. So you're not going to have ten hours to train for a race that's going to take ten hours.
0: Yeah.
1: But you're getting the most from those four hours that you've got. Yeah. And then the progression from that's going to be doing things like backloading intervals, looking at fatigue resistance. Um, Can you do? So let's talk about like kilojoules, calories that you're burning through the ride. So if you can do, I don't know, your normal two by twenty sweet spot session. Yeah in the fourth hour after you've done 3000 kilojoules of work yeah then that's going to be a lot harder than if you do it in the first hour absolutely but that's the sort of thing that again it develops that fatigue resistance and it makes you kind of always get used to working in that way as well because you are going to have to work hard in the not the fourth hour but in like the eighth hour the ninth hour the tenth hour and you're trying to replicate that race situation that race scenario as best you can within the constraints that you've got um so it'd be things like that, it'd be looking at the distribution of intensity, the distribution of rides, and there'd still be easy stuff in there, so there'd still be days where we'd just say, okay, maybe do some drills, maybe do some pedalling uh, drills, some efficiency drills, maybe a bit of work on, on your position, so obviously it's a long ride, but how do you actually get the most from that position? There's still going to be points where you're maybe descending, or you're going a little bit quicker with the tailwind, Yeah. so you'd have to think about things like your aerodynamics, your efficiency, Um because it's not just a race on power, right? It's how fast you can go and how quickly you can get there. Absolutely. So, whilst you might have luggage and things as well, you're still going to want to be going quickly when you when you're going quickly. You want to be getting the motors for that speed, and I guess almost getting a little bit of a rest while still going quickly. Um, and that's something you can practice in training. You can practice different positions, um, and you can work on those sort of things with a little bit of maybe strength and conditioning on the side as well. Um, well, probably a lot of strength and conditioning for a race of that length, but trying to kind of develop uh, a stronger core get your glutes engaged so you're working all those muscles rather than just relying on on your quads and your calves Um, yeah there's a lot of kind of supporting work there as well so um,
0: yeah so during a a consultation after you've worked out goals uh, history uh, time commitment is there anything else you'd uh, or a listener might expect from calling a coach and
1: so, yeah, I mean, once we've done that, I've got to know the rider. We've talked yep. about what their strengths and weaknesses are. We've talked about their goals. I guess at that point, I kind of know uh, enough about them, and I might give them the opportunity to uh, listen to a little bit about me. They might want to know yep. where my experience has come from, what my what qualifies me to tell them how to do things better. Yep. like There has to be, again, that element of credibility. Um, and that's important for them, again, like I said, to know that they can trust me and they can believe that I'm actually going to be able to help them. Absolutely. Um, so I tell them a bit about me, tell them the way in which I work, the way the training programs are delivered. Um, if they're a, a more of a local rider, then perhaps we, we could get together and, and go for rides where we can look at a bit more of that technical side of things as well. Um, if they're further away, then we might talk about those technical gaps in, in skill, that kind of thing, um, with things like cornering, descending, climbing, like how, how are you doing that? Do you feel like you need to work on that? What do you yeah, need to work on? Yeah, yeah. And if they are far away, maybe we could look at things like get your friend to video you going up a hill, get your friend yeah. to video you going around a corner. And
0: we can look at that when we move forward with, with the coach relationship. Um, but once we've talked about all of that, I mean, it really is
1: whatever the athlete wants to talk about at that point. And they will come a point where I guess uh, we kind of close the call by saying, I'll always give them time to go away and think about it. I don't want to kind of press, press for an answer there. But um, yeah, they've got the information they need, they go away have a think and um, from that point on if they decide that the coach is for them and I'm the right coach for them uh, then yeah there's a few kind of forms we go through where a lot of what we spoke about there we kind of go into a bit more detail and try right. and develop that even further um, to get that all down on paper and again for me that's just me getting to know that rider a bit more yeah, yeah. And the more I can do that I mean it, it only ever happens once we start working together right I can get to know them better know what makes them tick know what training they like know what they don't like know what gets them out of bed in the morning on a cold, wet day to yeah. go and ride their bike. Yeah, uh, That only comes really from working with the person. Bike can gather as much information prior to that to make it easier and improve that relationship straight away and improve the experience for the rider. Like They want to have a good time. They want to be developing from day one. They don't want to have to wait three months to get better at riding a bike, and they shouldn't have to. So if all that works done up front, um, that's what that's all kind of gearing up towards. Um, and if yeah if they decide to go for it we get all this sorted then we normally get a bit of benchmarking done so if they've got a power meter then do some power tests if not then maybe set some heart rate zones and some people might even have a heart rate monitor we can talk about things like uh, your perceived exertion and what should different intensities of training feel like Um, there's there's the number of scales out there but you can basically describe what intensity should feel like in terms of how your breathing whether you can hold a conversation that sort of thing um all of those sort of things of how we might measure those efforts um once they're all set then we're kind of ready to move forward with the program Um, and it's all geared up towards those goals we've spoken about we would have developed those even further put some time limits on those when we want to get to certain benchmarks um and then yeah
0: so how are you so from here on how are you tracking how are you Keeping tabs on enough. How are you keeping tabs on me, for example? How, how do you know what I'm doing? How how often are you checking in on me? What kind of feedback am I giving to you, and what feedback are you giving to me?
1: So, as much as possible, really. And and the, but the only way that a coach and rider sort of relationship develops is if there's that constant feedback loop, that constant communication. And well, I say constant is obviously not every day, but it's, it could be after every key workout. So maybe three times a week, four times a week. Being available to that person if they have a question, um, especially in the beginning, it's a different way of working for them. It's going to be a different way of, of training. It might be different types of workouts. And it's important that they understand why they're doing that. So if they want to pick up the phone, give me a call, and say, Henry, what's going on? Why am I doing this session? If I can explain that to them, then suddenly they're going to go, Oh, okay, I totally get that. I know what we're doing. I know why we're pulling towards this direction. And they'll understand that and then once they've done that session we can have a conversation around how it went how it was paced if you've got longer efforts for example uh did you pace it correctly was it a smooth paced effort did you manage to ramp up a little bit at the end maybe you went out too hard at the start and you didn't manage to sustain the effort towards the end of that effort Um, all these kind of things start to inform that rider a little bit more maybe what they could do better maybe what they are doing well already and that starts to reinforce their strengths and weaknesses what they're good at what they're not so good at and it shows me a bit
0: right so henry um fab stuff if uh for example someone's new to cycling or can't uh, invest in a coach just yet or they're still pondering over it what options they have before um perhaps investing in a coach
1: so we're quite lucky these days in world we live in and the sorts of uh media and stuff that we have access to so there's all sorts of things podcasts like such as this one that hopefully are uh, informing people on different methods of training and different ways that they can organize their training uh we've got audio books um well normal books as well uh from old school uh different training There's, there's like a book called the training bible which is where everyone starts right and it's a it's a foundation knowledge basically from a guy called Joe Friel and things have moved on a lot since he sort of started and wrote that and there's a lot of people that would tell you that that book's absolute rubbish but in essence that provides a really good foundation actually of how can I organize my training and it gives you all sorts of different resources as sort of appendices within that book so that's a really good one to I guess start with and naturally people will always move from that and develop different schools of thought but if you're coming from a basis of I've never organized my training and I've never, I guess, worked towards a goal in any particular specific fashion, um, that's a really good starting point. And that's where I started. And I've kind of always referred back to that in certain aspects. I mean, they talk about things like annual planning. How do you, if you've got a goal event in November, how do you, what did you do now? What what are you doing in March? How do you plan that? How do you plan back in terms of your training load, your progression? And it really helpful in that, in that kind of aspect. Um, and then from that, you might start to dig into things you mentioned earlier, different podcasts, trainer Road, do a podcast. Um, there's lots of coaching companies that are doing podcasts, YouTube videos. Um, and that will all start to give you, there'll be podcasts you listen to where you think, I got nothing from that. And there'll be some where you think, I got so much. And then sometimes I listen to an hour and a half worth of stuff. And there's one little golden nugget in there that I think ah, that's yeah. that's the, that's the piece of knowledge that I've gained today. Take that away, put that into action, and it's all free. It's all out there. Like I mean, well, you might be paying a dollars five ninety nine Spotify subscription or something yeah. to, to get access to this. Um, and then,
0: like we touched on earlier, things like Trainer Road and Swift as well, which are online platforms. Uh, they've
1: all got training plans built in, so you can go in and work on certain training plans. You can find ones that fit towards what you're you're trying to do. The only thing they don't have is that feedback we spoke about. So um, a lot of them are power based. So Zwift being a uh, like an online virtual world almost. Uh, Trainer Road being much more of a it is just a training interface as yeah. such. So um, they both got really good sort of aspects to them, but people prefer different ones. And, and Zwift is growing probably bigger than most at the moment because it adds like a gamification almost to things you can ride with your friends you can do races you can ride in events i mean people are now doing four or five hour rides on Swift because they're doing a group ride yeah. and if you said to someone 10 years ago i'm going to do a five hour ride on a turbo trainer they would have laughed you out the room because it was just like you'd be staring at a wall 10 years ago um, maybe watching a film on a dvd what's one of them um, but all that kind of stuff has made training a lot easier and they've got a lot of support within them for people that want to organize their training yeah what it doesn't have is that personalisation I mean Trainer road is starting to bring that in a little bit but even then it's, it's a lot of it's, it's, it's AI it's not that human touch and coaching is very much a grey area between art and science there's there's no real kind of it's not an art it's not a science it's both and you need that almost that human interaction to get yeah. the very best out of people yeah, yeah. Um, and that's what these things don't have they've got a lot of great aspects um, but that personable that 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 reliable coach that's getting to know you—that's um, the bit that's missing. So there's all these resources, and yeah, I, I think if you go out there, look for cycling podcasts, go onto your podcast provider, and, and just type in cycling, you'll find some great stuff out there, and that will start to inform you. And it—it is—it's a rabbit hole. Like you'll go down there, and you'll start to find yourself in weird and wonderful places, listening to some quirky podcast about time trials on dual carriageways in England, <laughs> and you might be listening to some coach in america talking about something completely different but all these worlds kind of collide in our wonderful sport and if you can put those little bits of knowledge together you can get to a pretty good place yeah it's just the next step after that is 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 that sort of one-to-one coaching
0: yeah definitely Um, having a coach for me is like uh number one for me it would be accountability now if i miss a workout in trainer road or if i was on swift or whatever it's like fine i've I've missed a workout that's it like yeah, there's no buzz about it. It's like, well, so what? But now, if you've got a coach, it's like, uh, he's going to ask me, or I'm going to need to tell him why. Did, why did I skip that one? And why have I skipped that one now as well? Like, I just feel there's a greater accountability uh, when you've got a coach as well. So, hundred um, percent,
1: yeah. And it's not, it's not that kind of. It's not someone watching over you. It's not Big Brother. It's, it's that. Okay, that's obviously not working. How do we improve that for you? You've obviously either run out of time or something's got too stressful today or something's got in the way. Let's try and avoid that in future. How can we set you up to succeed rather than setting you up to fail? And something like Trainer Road or Zwift, as good as they are, they just don't quite have that extra thing built in. And yeah, you're absolutely right.
0: Yeah. Um, Henry, uh, something we touched on um, a few months ago, uh, it's been. Uh, on my mind for a long time since uh, you mentioned you've been racing I don't know 10-15 years and uh, you could probably count the amount of coloured people you've raced against on perhaps one hand and uh, I was just thinking just to get your views if you don't mind like why do you think other people uh, of colour just haven't entered the racing scene
1: yeah it's a a tough one isn't it I I think cycling unfortunately by its nature is it's almost quite it has been quite an elitist sport up to now and it's definitely starting to change and it's definitely changing for the better but change happens slowly right it doesn't happen overnight and I, I think it's not a cheap sport it's a very expensive sport the opportunities are so limited and you, you go to any town in the country in England there's going to be a football team there's going to be a kids football team but there might only be a cycling club or a kids cycling club or a, any kind of cycling group in one in 10 of those towns or villages and if you've not got access to that then that's that's challenging and you're naturally gonna as a young person or, or as a person that's looking to get into a new sport or a hobby you're gonna go to what is accessible and what is easy to get into and where there's people that you can identify with and that kind of thing and i think there's a there's a serious lack of kind of role models within the cycling world from those uh different ethnic minorities that kind of thing um and I think that's, we all look for people to look up to, right? And if you said to me, who are your role models in cycling? It's people. There's people like Mark Cavendish, there's Bradley Wiggins, uh, Chris Froome. These people that I can look at and think, okay, that could be me. And if I said that to you, who are your role models within cycling? And who can you look at and think, yeah, that would be me?
0: Yeah. Who would you say? Uh, still, uh, it's very similar to yours. However, w- there's, um, how do you say? Like, we still look up to Vanderpoel, Wiggins, etc., but there's no Asian equivalent. So, we're thinking, how did, if, if another Asian or Indian uh, fella made it, or even woman, it'd be like, right, there's hope for us because he did it or she did it. How did, how did they do it? And we could follow that path. Whereas, we don't know the path which Cavendish took or Wiggins took because it hasn't been made accessible to us, or perhaps we're not looking in the right places. So, um, you know in some ways we do need uh i feel like we do need someone who can show us the path um uh, but at the same time it's it's on us as well uh it's not just one way Um, yeah and
1: someone's got to do it right and i think unfortunately we've come from a place where um i think opportunities were always typically a lot more limited in the past and i i think that's definitely improved now i'm not saying there's there's not still huge challenges um but I think things have improved to a point. And it does, like you say, take people to step forward and say, I'm going to do this. Yeah, and I'm going to be that person. And you might be... Let's take you, for example. You're racing fourth cat races. You might get up to third cat and then eventually go and find yourself in a race that is a support race for an elite race. And someone is watching that elite race who looks at you and goes, I want to do that. And he's actually... I'm sorry, he's 10 times more talented than you, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, <laughs> He's going to go into it and he suddenly is racing in that elite race yeah, in yeah, yeah. a few years' time and then there's another kid watching that race and then he's looking yeah. at that guy and he's again more talented than him and suddenly you've got riders racing at world tour level from all sorts of different backgrounds absolutely. Um, and you've got a much more diverse sport but these things, it takes time, right, yeah. and it, it just takes time to inspire new generations and I think that's the beauty of the scholarship that we're doing now. I mean, we've all come from such different backgrounds and there is a representation from, from everywhere in the UK. And um, I think that's only going to develop what we're doing. I mean, we've got, there's, there's Shahina and Asma on our course who are doing great things in the Muslim community in London in terms of women's cycling. Yes. And women's cycling alone, let alone within the Muslim community, Again, cycling has been typically, even with, with getting women into the sport and racing
0: across the board, a right? It's, it's just, yeah, yeah. there's
1: been massive barriers to that. And a lot of clubs are starting to open their eyes to that and see actually, we need to just offer more activities and more opportunities to people, and they will come, <laughs> they're out there. Yeah. So, if we can op- offer more opportunities, um, I think it's a slow burner, yeah. but it's improving. And the governing body, British Cycling, are starting to do things that. Just opening those doors for people, yeah. And if they can open those doors and get them open wider and wider,
0: um, yeah, 100 Henry. Um, one thing, um, I think they need to do uh, is just make clear what the race license is. Just that one single thing, I think they'll uh, demystify for thousands of people, not just within the Muslim community. Just what the steps are to one, get a license, what it is, etc., uh, how to get it because it's not clear, and then how to sign up to races i think those two things itself would would get hundreds if not thousands of more people into racing which yeah i think it's a tough one for for
1: bc isn't it because i mean they've got so many hats that they wear they've got the elite performance level and
0: it goes all the way back down to
1: grassroots and getting kids into cycling and i guess the race license almost sits in that gray area in the middle for people like you and i that want to do a little bit of racing but actually we're essentially we are kind of in the middle of what british cycling are kind of trying to do yeah. with the getting people into the sport at, at proper grassroots level and i guess that does involve of the race license and demystifying that absolutely but um i think if they can get more kids on bikes from more different backgrounds i mean i know you've been doing a bit of stuff with the is it the city academy yes. us about yeah, that yeah, yeah.
0: yeah that's what that project's all about um so they've set up a few hubs in inner london uh, where there are more people of uh, Uh, different backgrounds so in Hackney they've set up two hubs and I believe they're going to set up another hub in Newham and what that is is basically exposing children to cycling Um, different disciplines all absolutely free all equipment is provided Um, it's a multi-million pound project which is run by British Cycling with their own hired uh, staff uh, with qualified coaches and so it's a fantastic opportunity uh, for people who might be listening and might be in those areas to get your children or if you're a child right now listening to it and you're only 14 or below get on it, um, it's after school so it's accessible it's in uh, in the neighbourhoods that there are uh, children and people of that so absolutely uh, the time is
1: now right for that, yeah, if yeah, they're, yeah. they're doing it now the That's opportunity it. is they're going to be there now and, and this year and next year, yep. it's got to be used and we need to I guess it's great having it there. How do we get people to those clubs and to those city academies as well? And that's, I think it will snowball if we get through this first step. It's one of those things that will either succeed or fail at this
0: point, won't it? Absolutely. Uh, Henry, um, it's been fab having you on. I put a shout-out on the Instagram asking uh, if anyone had a question for you. And I had two, uh, if you don't mind answering them. so. Uh, Hamza asked if uh, how much does genes play a role in performance and whether uh, it's all about genes or it's all about hard work and which one comes out on top, basically?
1: Do you want the short answer? Yes,
0: go <laughs> on. It's, it's getting late, so go <laughs> on. Hard work. Yeah.
1: Always oh, hard work. Hard work trumps talent any day. Uh, talent will always succeed first, I think, but hard work comes out better in the long run. I mean, I can think of countless examples of this from people I've raced with who were phenomenal young athletes. Yeah, They just disappear. Other things happen in their life and they don't want it enough. Okay. Um, where there's other people that maybe have raced for years and years against those people and they've always been there or thereabouts but perhaps never pushed through until they get into the under 23, the senior ranks,
0: that kind of thing. They're working at it year on year. They know that it's a long-term thing and yeah. they work
1: hard at it. They're sacrificing things. That wins every day, man. Like hard work and it's not just in cycling, is it? Hard work trumps in life a lot of the time. Um and yeah, I yeah. I think that talent and genes, yeah, it does kind of give you a head start. Yeah. It's you always it's nice to be the kid that's winning because you you just jumped on a bike a month ago and you just happen to beat everyone. I mean it's great, but is that almost argue I would argue is that rider they're not learning from losing they're not learning from their yeah, mistakes yeah, yeah, so yeah. actually in the long term I are mean, they setting themselves up for success or failure don't get me wrong there's super talented bike riders out there that work hard as well and they're the guys that are up there winning world tours yeah, 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 yeah. world tour racing um so if you have
0: both then that's the holy grail <laughs> yeah absolutely pick your parents wisely kids uh second question uh was if someone rides only once a week so zishan asked this if someone rides once a week uh it's a fairly big ride um just in simple terms what should their post-ride plan be in terms of nutrition in terms of stretching um etc so break it down it's a nice easy way what what should that person do once they get home
1: yeah um I think the beauty of if you're doing one ride is that you have a week to recover, right? And yeah. recovery, that is where the adaptation happens. So you can do a long ride. You can do a lot of training. If you can't recover, then it's, it's not going to be fruitful. Whereas that recovery is the most important thing. So you've already got time on your side. Um, it's just about getting the right fuel back in your body. So making sure that you've got enough protein in your diet to, to kind of get that recovery process kick started. Um, Almost if it's a long, big ride, you kind of want to just get off your feet to start with and and allow that recovery process to kind of begin. So get on the sofa, watch the telly for a bit. Um, Get a a little bit of stretching, obviously, yes, but I think maybe you'd be better off doing something like a bit of yoga in the week or something like that to keep a bit of mobility going. Yeah, Um, yeah, I think stretching has its place, but it's a bit of an old-fashioned technique i guess okay. <laughs> um i think yeah it's, it's just important to make sure that you you're refueling properly Perfect. you're rehydrating properly and that recovery process c- can start in earnest
0: awesome henry thank you for coming on hopefully see you at another event uh with yeah. the scholarship
1: been a pleasure man it's been wonderful thank you and uh thank you to all your listeners take care Cheers